0: I'm Lauren McLean and welcome to Mentoring Nature Connections. Today's episode is to help shed light on a very important topic here in Canada, so I do want to front load all of the listeners that there is some graphic and disturbing content in the intro of this podcast. Our country has a tragically sad history when it comes to the treatment of Indigenous people. Recently, the remains of 215 children were discovered at the Kamloops Indian Residential School. Our guest today, Nadine McSpadden, has a personal connection with this school and graciously agreed to speak with us to help open up these difficult conversations. She is from the Shwetmuk Nation Shuswap Indian Band. Nadine is a helping teacher for Aboriginal learning in the Surrey School District, and her dream is that every teacher participates in reconciliation. So Nadine, thank you for being here. I'd like to first begin by asking you about land acknowledgements as a stepping stone to learning and teaching about reconciliation. I've only recently adapted my land acknowledgement to being a bit more descriptive and personal as opposed to the scripted sentence that was originally provided to most educators, and I'd like to get your thoughts on that
1: you know what i'm so glad you don't i mean i, I think that you know when, when we were first starting this this adventure we were looking at having a script because teachers were uncomfortable with it and administrators were uncomfortable with it so we gave them a script um and but now that script is is has become rote so we're asking teachers and administrators to make it more personal because when you when you think of the audience if let's say you're in a gymnasium and it's an assembly what what will a kindergarten student understand versus what a grade seven student will understand. So we know that students connect more to things when you yourself make it personal. So when I do an, a land acknowledgement here, I talk about where my home is situated. So right now um, I'm in Walnut Grove and I'm on the traditional unceded territory of both the Kwantlen First Nation and the Kate First Nation. And one of the things that I love to do is I love to walk by the river. And I understand and respect that this has been their their fishing ground since time immemorial. And just um I try and make it as personable as possible. I try not to write it down or memorize it. Sometimes you I will reflect um on, on a memory that I've had, like if I've gone through Houston Trail, just the effects that the cedar have. And and for me it it's a it's a, a true wondering. I, I went cedar harvesting a couple of weeks ago. And I I, you know, when I'm on C territory or Quotland territory, knowing that the cedar tree is their tree of life how did they look at that tree and know that they could get so many resources for it? So for me, it just elevates my total respect for the indigenous knowledge that both the Kitsi and and the Kwantlen First Peoples had in this particular area. So yeah, when you're doing land acknowledgements, if you can make it as personal, you know, um, some land acknowledgements are also trying to include the name of the language that the, the community speaks too. So there's going to be variations. And I think that that makes it more, it means you've given it some thought. So that just makes it more authentic rather than, I like to, you know, we've heard that script so many times, yeah.
0: Well, and I think because we've heard it so many times, we can sometimes gloss over it. It doesn't really sink in. So what I think you've described is to highlight and foster a connection to the land.
1: But I I think, you know, one of the things that they talk about in in land acknowledgements is recognizing that um, why land and place matter so much in our acknowledgements is because all our stories, our history, our culture, um, all linked to the land. So our language connects to the land. So it, it's what it's what makes us diverse. So the language and the culture, the the resources that were harvested here in British Columbia would be very different than that, say, of Saskatchewan or Quebec. So it it what it does when you when we connect to land and place, we we connect to a part of Canada. Um, depending on your audience too more and more people are saying that it would be respectful to use the term unseated which means we never gave it up and um i i think you know that's going to become more and more important i think teachers are reluctant to say it because oh it gets there's a worry of it getting political right but i i think that that the time has come where we have to you know we have to acknowledge this so so, you know, you know what some teachers have done, and it's super cool, is they've had their students try and write a land acknowledgement. And we've done it in workshops. And, you know, teachers get so tangled up because they have this incredible fear of getting it wrong, of being disrespectful. And, and, when, and, and so, you know, oh, well, was and, but kids, they think, oh, sorry, my dog is now talking. Um, children tend to go right from the heart. And so if you say, well, you know, imagine what this land, imagine what uh, this, the river was like a thousand years ago. You know, what would, what did the Kate see? What would they have seen? What would they have been doing? What time of year is it? So what would they be harvesting this time of year? It it creates um, a stronger uh, picture that that students can connect to. So...
0: I love that idea of connecting it to the seasons. Then we can see that land acknowledgments aren't stagnant and they are forever changing.
1: So that that sort of ties into a um, something that that I wanted to talk about. That any teacher can do, regardless of age, is talking about we call it seasonal rounds. So um, I don't know if you've heard of a kit that Surrey has. Um, it was created by the Saanich people, the Saanich Moons Kit. And it talks about the 13 moon phases. And each moon is named. But in each one of those moons, there were um, there were things that people did because of the the time of year, the things that they were collecting on the land, but there were also cultural activities that happened. So it would be the time when you would put the canoes in the water. There would be a time when you pull the canoes out. It would be a time of the the, the winter dance ceremonies that happen. So it not only connects to just the harvesting of the resources and the, the, the day-to-day activities, but also the cultural activities. And I think we can make that rel- relatable for kids because there are times of the year if we were to look at our school season around, we know oh September is the time when the leaves change, but that's also a time when we go back to school. You know, um, in the winter time, it's a time of darkness. You know, um, there's not much light. Well, that that's kind of the winter time. So th- there's something I think for all students um, can connect to when we talk about the seasonal rounds.
0: Yeah. And where do we go to find that website, Nadine?
1: Um, it's on, yeah, I, we have a, a teacher Weebly account. It's called Aboriginal Resources for Teachers. Yes, and it is on there. But um there, if you just do a Google search for it, there there are, and if you go to actually another fantastic resource is a website called firstvoices.org or dot com. So if you go to the Centotpin, which is the language of the Saanich people, you'll find that the Saanich Moons kit. Even better, how to pronounce each of the names of the moon seasons. And that's important because a lot of teachers will say, oh, I, you know, I, I don't know how to pronounce this word. Well, you know, our name is is so, so important. If I don't know how to say Nadine or if you don't know how to say Nadine and, and you are hosting me, you take the time to learn it. And it's not easy. But by by saying, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to call you um, another name because I can't say your name it shows, you know, me that you're not being respectful, that I'm not important enough. So, you know, First Voices is, is, is a great website to, to find the sandwich Means Kit. Um, and there's also stories and songs on there too that teachers can use so students can hear uh, some of the songs um, and then, then they can think about, well, what are some of the songs in my culture that are important? Do we have songs? um and, and some of the, the, the key words or even some of the, the celebrations in that we have in indigenous culture mm-hmm. that would be highlighted in the seasonal rounds. Are there are there traditions in your culture that you so I guess what I always try and share with teachers is we always want to start off with the indigenous piece. Okay. We want to ground it and and specifically we want to try and ground it. Um, to where we are, so the see the Kwantlen, the and the Semiyamu, p- pretty much the Coast Salish, and then you know we can we can branch out but then we want to show connections to other cultures. So we want to show that we as Indigenous people are unique, but also very diverse. We're diverse in our language, culture and traditions. But, you know, every culture has some kind of bread, I bet. Like we we have, well, Bannock isn't really a traditional food, but it's become one. Um, so every culture has a bread. Every culture has some kind of uh, ceremony, like we have, um, where we wear regalia, kind of like our powwows or, or you know, that we wear just for that event and it's treated very special. Well, I bet other cultures do that too. You know, every culture has some kind of, we have drums, but we're not the only culture that drums. Weaving, we do Coast Salish weaving here, but other cultures, well, there's Métis weaving, but there, I've talked to students who are, whose family are from India well, my, we, we weave there too. So that's where you can start building those connections. And I think when kids see um, that we value the indigenous, indigenous culture, we can it also permits us to value all culture. So that's kind of the exciting part for me.
0: I appreciate that connection making through our own personal stories. And circling back to how it ties into our curriculum in BC, I worry that truth and reconciliation can sometimes be a buzzword, and there's a lot of trepidation for "quote unquote" getting it wrong and being disrespectful when we're teaching and learning about truth and reconciliation with
1: our learners. Well, I think it's one of two things. I think it. Um, I think at first we could excuse teachers and administrators because, you know, I, I think there were times when some some of our parents or cultural workers might have come in and said, "You know why are you doing that?" But so you have to also remember the history right like the school has been a place where our culture and language has been taken away, and now we see a teacher trying to teach culture it, it it's It's perplexing for us so so now that we know that the curriculum has changed. That has helped. Um, you know, the teacher, teachers are afraid of making a mistake or getting the protocol wrong. And, and I think there was a time when maybe some of our support staff were uncomfortable with teachers teaching culture. But that's not what reconciliation is about. So if you look at the early framework and you actually look at the definition, it's really talking about reestablishing good um, Relationships with the Indigenous peoples of Canada. Okay, one of the things I talk about a lot in the workshops I do with teachers is just how difficult it is for our parents to come into schools. And now you know the news in Kamloops. Now you understand why. Um, and we've we've known this for a long time. And you know when we ask teachers or t- parents to come in, and they're often sitting around with with maybe a, a district counselor, a you know uh, um, an educational psychologist an administrator these are all position positions of power right and then in an institution that they don't trust anyways so so what rec- in my heart what reconciliation is saying how can we make our schools a safe place for our students and our parents to be And there are so many easy ways that teachers can do that. And a lot of that is thinking about the resources you have in your classroom. So I I was showing your daughter the Indigenous finger puppets, right? There is a perfect example. If you have uh, some of the board books for for primary um, that feature First Nation art, Um, that look at the animals that are prominent in our culture. When parents can walk into a school and, and start to see some of those things that they're familiar with, they're going to be safe. When students are going home with homework that is talking about Canada's, the Indigenous Peoples of Canada, in a positive way, talking about their indigenous knowledge, um, how they've been stewards of this land, you know, how resourceful they were, how much science was involved in building a longhouse or a canoe. Um, it, it elevates how it breaks those stereotypes that have been so prominent. Um, I, was, I was thinking of an example, I was uh, doing a, I wrote a book called We Can Read for mythology, right? So I I go into schools and what I do is I have the first lesson we do is I have just a bunch of beads made from um, natural materials because thinking about land and place, what would Indigenous peoples of this area use to make beads? So here it would be shells, it would be stones, it would be seeds, it would be bones. So I give them a bag of beads and they get to touch and feel because early learners, that's how they they learn it. And what they notice is really, really interesting. one case I had had the, the the beads out of my car, and it was December. And one little boy said, "This is McSpadden. This this stone is still is so cold, and this wooden one isn't. So there's a science connection, right? You know, stone and shell. But so, anyways, the connection kids make is interesting. So we did they do do this sorting activity. They make a picture with with the beads, um, and then I read the book week we can bead and we talk about that comes from stones and and such and and then we i talk about well where where would first nation people wear bead work and we talk about a powwow and there's an at cbc kids has great videos on you know um what is a powwow one girl talked heard us talk was sort of got involved and she said i have powwow regalia at home and the teacher kind of stopped and said oh really and she said yeah my mom gave me her powwow regalia she'd never talked about this before right so the next day this girl brought in her powwow regalia so going from a being kind of a shy girl to now she's the center of attention kids know what she has and and can because they've worked with beadwork and they did a little bit of beading, they can see just how how much work is involved in creating but what I think what's key to me is that mom, you know, how did she feel to know that students are learning about something that's so important to her? So that's when we be- begin to foster relationships. So, so hopefully next year when we, they do being, maybe mom will come in and, and teach the class some dancing. right? So this is reconciliation. This is when you're rebuilding those relationships with our families and our communities. And it takes work. It 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 takes a lot of work. And it you know, in the case of Surrey or most of the school districts in the lower mainland who have support staff, Indigenous support staff, there's been a tendency if I'm the classroom teacher and you're the Indigenous support worker, I would say to you, Would you call Nadine's mom because she hasn't so rather than making that call myself, I'm I've passed that work on to you. Um and you know, I know myself. Working in Aboriginal Ed by by helping the teacher out in that capacity, I've robbed you with the opportunity to make that connection with family. Okay, so so for me, reconciliation really is uh, trying to provide unique opportunities for families to feel safe in schools. So our school district has a, a program that we started oh, about eight years ago. It's an after-school program called Bannock in Books. Okay, so um, what happened, it's supposed to be, uh, it was originally designed to get families involved in early literacy and numeracy. So, but it's changed over time, and I think for a positive reason. So the the sessions go, we start off, we always have food because that's a protocol. The principal always says the, the land acknowledgements. We now include a cultural worker who starts us off in a good way, often with a couple of um, songs, drumming songs, because our families feel safe. Um, and then we, we um, have a read aloud. So I pick books that relate to themes. So this year it was Cedar. So the students read um, the teacher read aloud book was uh, Stand Hall. Uh, like Cedar. Yeah. And then that the one for the primary was uh, the Sasquatch, the fire in the cedar baskets, which is just the most delightful book. I love it. So they they have the read aloud sessions and then all the learning activities are based on those books. And then at the end of the sessions, um, all the kids go home with one of our beautiful Indigenous bags with books in them. But key is that the teachers are there running the learning stations because we need to be able to provide opportunities for teachers to feel safe to connect with their families so so when we have these events like the teachers will will naturally gravitate towards you, you gravitate towards who you feel safe with so they hang out with each other and i'll try and go over and say no go to a learning station and connect with the families and and it it's just it's so amazing. So that's been positive. And also that now our Indigenous families have an opportunity to connect with other Indigenous families. So those kind of um events are important because it it's it's breaking those barriers. Again, it's healing that relationship between school and community. So
0: So programs and events like what you've described are feasible actions that we can take as a school community. I'm wondering what are other measures we can take to learn and heal and grow together?
1: I can tell you from an indigenous perspective. Yes, I'm glad this is in the news, but I don't want parents and teachers and people to think that we are without hope, we are without joy and celebration, you know? So um this this is timely, this happened, this truth has to happen, but we also have to, to um we have to to, to celebrate. I remember we went and saw um, Nicola Campbell at uh, UBC and, and she was talking and she said what, she was, had done this presentation in the school and one of the students said to her, asked her, why are all your books so sad? And this was, an, and she thought, oh my gosh, we have to, you know, we're trying to educate teachers and families but we have to give our youth, our children, something to celebrate, something fantastic. So, and there are no end of those books. The cedar, the the fire, and the um sorry, the sasquatch, the, the fire, and the cedar baskets is delightful. Mm-hmm. And I say this because I, I grew up being afraid of Bigfoot, right? Because we talk about it around here, right? But for for some of the Stalo communities, they believe in sasquatch, but. What Sasquatch is perplexed about is why is everybody so interested in my feet? And can kids get that? Yes. And you're laughing, right? that's what that's what some of our literature has to express and and also um you know just those wonderful relationships that we have with with family um it, it, when we look at the first people's principles of learning you know and then the early framework they, they talk about that the importance of story and that memory and history is shared through story um i've been to several of my gatherings and we have uh s- storytellers and there's a gift to storytelling it's knowing audience, but um, it's engaging them in fun and play. So there are ways that we can do that in our classroom, particularly at the primary level by bringing in um, story workshop is is big right now and loose parts, you know, uh, animals that are that are familiar to coastal First Nations peoples. Are we including those in our stories? Are we talking about do we have books, you know, about about the trees and the flowers and the, the medicines that are so important because that, that showcases, again, the Indigenous knowledge, and that's part of the science curriculum, you know? It's so, so this little jar here is, is I, I, I've brought this in to show students, it's dandelions, and it, this is one of our medicines, right? Show me a kid who doesn't love to pick a dandelion. So, you know, we talk about how this is used as medicine and that you only take what you need, um, that you're careful where you harvest it, um, that you don't eat it unless you have an adult with you. Um, I I've, I've did. I brought in cottonwood buds and showed them how we would make that into a cell. I have stinging nettle hanging back here. So, you know, teaching them about the plant medicines, and, and there, there are fantastic resources for that. So taking kids on walks, the um, Pacific Northwest Plant Cards available through strong nations um, are they have a primary version now that where the language isn't so sophisticated so starting at a very very early age introducing um kids to outside which is which is where all our knowledge was was hosted right so yeah it's it's so i think it's easier than i think we, we make it more complex um i'd suggest to teachers you know after i do the beating with them kindergarten book is have a beading station you know have them how would you make your own beads you know um they could use i've seen magazines where you tear it into a triangle and you roll them up on a on a a, a chopstick and and glue it and it makes a paper bead right use clay and make make a bead and then paint it um you know just trying to to get into things thinking about how indigenous people did things prior to contact and could they replicate that? It, it develops an appreciation and a wonder, I think, for the people who who lived and are still living here now. So you mentioned making
0: salves and I'm sure I'm not the only one who has an interest in learning how to do that. So I'm wondering what resources you could recommend for those of us wanting to learn a little more about traditional uses of plants.
1: I mean, I, I wouldn't be, be afraid to check out um, TikTok uh twitter or facebook to find indigenous influencers who are willing to share their knowledge but i just want to touch on on that sharing of the knowledge too because um my my biggest fear is uh who has the right to share that knowledge okay so i i i've done um some coast salish weaving and i i feel comfortable enough with it I, i tell kids i'm not I'm not a master weaver, far from it. But I have attended workshops with master weavers. I've I've done my reading. In my area, we have mountain goats. I I am Salish. I'm Interior Salish, so I feel a connection. But I'm not going to teach weaving. I'm not going to teach beading until I I talk about that history. So who were the weavers? Well, who who? It's like the the coast or the uh, Cowichan sweaters that were created, right? I'm just not going to teach my kids how to knit a couch and sweater without one knowing who are the couch and people. Is it permittable to do that? So this is where the due diligence of the teacher has to come in and understanding that there are some things that that aren't meant to be shared. And some things that can so like any the the Pacific Northwest plant cards that talk have you seen them the Pacific Northwest plant cards so on the back they talk about all the different um, uses of it um, there's not going to be anything in there that would talk about sacred medicines because the publisher knows it's same with most of the stories that are that we call authentic resources um, you can be pretty comfortable knowing that the story shared and published are are free to do that. And when I say authentic resources, so in our district in Surrey, we review all resources that ABED does to make sure they're authentic and we use the criteria that has been established by the First Nation Education Steering Committee. So we make sure one, that it's been written by or in consultation with an Indigenous community. That is so, so important. Um, And two, that uh, it is authentic that it's um, that it's not perpetuating stereotypes, and that it's it's something that is supposed to be shared and is permissible to share, and that's um, so. I think that's you know when we were talking earlier about some of the fears that teachers have, I think that's been a fear too. So if you use any of the resources from our Aboriginal Resource Center. Or if you go, if you're not from Surrey, if you go to the First Nation Education Steering Committee website or FNASC and look at their authentic resources guide, um, those resources have been vetted. So, um, and if you purchase, you know, like Terry Mack, who was the previous owner of Strong Nations, fabulous. I mean, I just, my, I raise my hands up to, to her because she has brought, amazing, amazing resources to, to British Columbia for teachers to use. Prior to that, there were a few publishers, but she, you know, just, she's done amazing work. If you look at her website now, and if you search for a book, um, it will tell you whether it's authentic or not, like whether it has indigenous content, it'll also tell you the grade level and it provides this like a synopsis. But that indigenous or non-indigenous is, is is really helpful for teachers so I, I think that there are tools out there to support the classroom teacher now around authentic resources um, and and that helps but you know I think the biggest the biggest resource that is underutilized is our families so when a teacher can make strong connections with our indigenous families sort of gain their trust and and um, you know, there are some families who are willing to come in and 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 talk. You know, so how 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 do you do that? Well, come September, you know, instead of sending a note home, phone and say hi. You know, I'm I'm Nadine's new teacher. You know, I'm so nice to meet you. You know, I, my door is always open. If you want to come in and and visit, please please do. Um, Yeah, I I think, you know, and and having an event at the beginning of the year where you're highlighting um, Indigenous resources is a a way to connect with families. Um, Make sure that, you know, if you have a bulletin board that shares an activity that your students have done, that parents might see when we can go back into schools. Um, make sure that it has a descriptor. So in art today, we learned about First Nation shapes. We learned that there is a difference between Coast Salish art and that of form line art or Northwest art. Um, So this is our exploration of Salish art, and that includes, you know, Crescent an Oval and uh, a Trigon. So not only is that a learning opportunity for other teachers in the school, but class parents, when they come and go, Wow, they, they know the difference, you know, um, and, and so it, it also creates a conversation point, right, with, with families who are coming in. So these are the small ways that, that we can start. Um, but, you know, just making sure that your class is full of rich um, uh, Indigenous resources and that it, it's something that you integrate not just in art, but do it in math and in science. You know, it's... um the the finesse guide the science guide has a a fabulous unit so uh, around tea so what i do with kids in the spring is out we'll go out and do the plant walk and we'll tally we'll see how many maple trees we see how many cedar trees how how many dandelions you know the different types of plants um and and then we'll talk about the different parts of it that's harvested and how did they know that and um but then uh, the, the finesse kit has them make a tea blend. So we, we source out from a couple places in town natural teas that don't have caffeine in it. And the kids get to make their own tea plant. And then we have the plant cards that talk about uh, what rose hip was good for. So it was good for, you know, I can't remember, arthritis. Or... So then they have to write down the three types of tea that they mixed in their tea bag to, to make their blend, what it's good for. And they have to give it a unique name, right? Um, and and so the, and then they get to, to use hot water and make their tea. So so they've done the plant knowledge. And then they can also, if you if it's a higher grade, they can look at the pH level in the tea. So so there you've and it, you know if you're if you're doing measuring of how much water, the temperature of the water, because um, some teas are infused better with cold water versus hot water. There you can tie in the science even more. So. You know, thinking uh, thinking of some lessons that are more cross-curricular rather than... Because teachers, we tend to default to art because it's safe. I appreciate you mentioning some
0: cross-curricular examples so that we can begin to understand that it's not just through art that we can learn about Indigenous culture. And actually, I'd love to ask you about tokenism. And how we can avoid and understand why it's inappropriate to do activities like the toilet paper totem poles.
1: If you if you want to make any Indigenous teachers' hair fall out, just talk about a totem pole, totem poles made out of toilet papers. And I, I guess I would challenge teachers, you know, who were you know maybe strong uh, in their faith, maybe a Catholic faith. Would you want a cross made out of toilet paper? Like think where toilet paper rolls. It, it, from a germ factor, like from COVID, have we learned nothing? Um, and, and, you know, it's, yeah, it, it, I think you have to think about the lessons that you do, the message you're sending. And, you know, if I were and I didn't, I'll give you an example. Years ago, um, when Gilbertard, uh, she uh, was our, our, our principal for ABED, her mother is very strong in her culture, and their culture wear button blankets. She came into a school and saw a button blanket hanging on the wall and she was horrified Now, w- the history of this is that our department made the button blankets because we wanted to have um, we wanted to have things in the school that reflected our, our culture. i don 't know who made the decision, but it wasn't thought through all that well because It would be the equivalent of hanging a priest's robe on a wall or a nun's robe, you know. Um, It's regalia that's sacred that is not meant to be displayed like that. There are ways that you can display it that are more respectful. But does that mean that we don't teach button blankets? No. What it means is that we teach about button blankets, who wears them, why they wear them, Um, why they're not hung on the wall and then we make make button hangings and we put up a little descriptor next to it saying we understand that button blankets are significant regalia that are not meant to be displayed but this is our reflection and this is our art and we're calling them button hangings. So that gets away from that tokenism, right? So as long as teachers have done that deep diving into, you know, if you want to make replicas of totems. Understand that there are different kinds of poles. Know which communities made poles. I'm interior Salish, we don't have totem poles, so it would have no connection to me. Um, make sure you've done your due diligence to. And that's, you know, uh, you know, I, I think there are so many resources available online that teachers can find that information. Um, yeah but yeah some of those tokenism lessons um they they can undo the work because word 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 gets out fast you know i like that that button blanket fiasco still resonates in surrey today and like you hear the word button blanket and and it, um but it was learning right and 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 i think we have to say that honestly we have to be fair to teachers and say You know, how I taught a lesson 10 years ago is not probably how I would teach it today. And I would share that with students that, you know, this particularly for teachers, like even when I went to school, I'm going to be 60 next year. I wasn't taught about residential schools. I wasn't taught about the 60s group. I wasn't taught about the past. I wasn't taught about I maybe heard a little bit about the Haida. The illustrations in books were disrespectful and did not make me feel proud of who I am. Um, So for me to get up, had I not been in, how would I I teach it if it hasn't been taught to me? So I think teachers need to feel safe to say to their students, look, I'm not an expert on button blankets, but we're gonna do some research before we we do it. Um, Let's see what we can find Let's see if we can find a website from a first nation community that talks about button blankets, you know, and that that's where you have to start sourcing out the resources that you use and and that's why you know authentic resources are so important, but you know, I tell teachers all the time, tell your kids you don't know because that's an important conversation because they're going to say to you, well why why don't I thought teachers knew everything right? Well, I don't know because this information wasn't taught well, why? Well, because we didn't know to care. And this is, again, reconciliation. Canada has realized that the disservice we've done to the Indigenous peoples of Canada, and when, when we go forward and say, look, we, we apologize, there was a formal apology from Stephen Harper, we've adjusted, we had the truth and reconciliation um, work done, we've had the calls to action, and now our curriculum has been changed. These are all actions because Canada has learned, I hope. And 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 I hope because you know you mentioned tokenism, and I think there's a a danger of that. But I think I think this um I think the momentum is so great now that that I, I don't think it's gonna slow. I mean, you just have to look at the the quality of resources that are out there for every grade level. It it's um you know, Finesque has two. Two great uh, resources for Indian residential school. One for grade five and up, and then one actually three ten, and then one for eleven and twelve. So there's no reason why teachers can say I can't teach about Indian residential schools because the the, the material is there. It's age appropriate. It's thoughtful, um, and it ends. What I like about all their guides is it ends in a positive in in a, a place where we think about reconciliation so what can we do now that we know that residential schools were created to, to to you know to take away language and culture what can we do to make that better well why don't we as as a school see if we can find some books that have indigenous languages in it so um there's a new book trapline and i might i hope i don't get his name wrong robert davidson um, has, and there's Cree in it. We have all kinds of counting books in in our resource library in in Cree and in uh, uh, the Métis language. Um, So there are more and more resources being developed. Uh, The Stantal, um, like Cedar also has language in it. So that's, you know, that's a really positive step, I think.
0: Yes, I think so too. And it is so important to look at our libraries to see that there is a balance of voices and perspectives. But I do want to know your opinion on how books are organized in libraries, because I've seen some instances where Indigenous books are in their own bin and labeled Indigenous books.
1: We've had lots of conversations with teacher librarians too on how where stories tend to reside in the Dewey Decimal system. And it's under fables and myths, I think. And it's so disrespectful because, you know, our stories, we believe them to be true. And and to put them with with uh Cinderella and and the likes is so disrespectful. Um, And if we have just a bin of books that are First Nation books, then it's not showing that First Nation culture or Indigenous knowledge resides in science and in math and in art and in physical education and in health. Because our resources do, you know. One of the the issues is is when we review books is we, we have to give it a category, which curricular area should it fit. And most of them we want to say, well all because if it involves family at all that's you know, and if it involves being out in the land well that's science. Um, if 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 it's you know my one of my favorite books is a uh, Wasik's world famous Bannock. It's I just love this book, um, and in it he. The, the young character goes his grandma gives him some bannock to take to somebody and he loses it along the way and so his friends try and help him well, some one of the one of the animals gives him bread and one gives him lard and one um, but there's so much language in that so but there's also measurement and, and math and so you know there's there's so many books that are cross curricular that you can't you can't lump them. And even when you, you talk about the, the, the kinds of picture books that are available, like Shishi Echo or Shinshi's Canoe, um, there's a new video that they just put out for Shinshi's Canoe that's available for all teachers. I I tweeted it out. Um, um, Those books can be used again and again in any grade. You know, we have to remember as teachers that kids love repetition of story, right? You think of your own children, soon she's going to say, read that again. I want that story again. I want... Why? Well, because there's comfort. And, and what we believe in our culture is that, you know, each time you read a story, when you're prepared, you take a different meaning from it, right? And that's that's true of, of our picture books. I mean, there's some books I've read over and over again, and I, I, and there are times when kid, I've read it aloud to kids, and they pick up something I've never connected to. So, you know, don't be afraid to to, to have, reuse the same book in a classroom for for different, for different lessons, you know? Thank you for sharing
0: that perspective for how we can look at the organization of the books in our libraries. Now, I'm cognizant of our time, so I'd like to ask you one final question, which is if you have a novelty nature note that you'd like to share with us today.
1: I've got this book about trees, and in it, it talks about tree pimples. And what is a tree pimple? So, um, a tree, well, we know what a pimple is on our face, right? It's a sore or an owie. And um, when a tree's branch breaks off it creates a circular hole where the branch was and it begins to heal up but there's always a scar and that's called a tree pimple.
0: Very interesting. Well yesterday on my nature walk I saw a paleated woodpecker so I came home and was reading up on them and apparently they leave a rectangular shaped hole not a circular one like the other birds when they're digging into a tree. Well, this has been a wonderful and eye-opening conversation. I'd like to encourage everyone to follow Nadine on Twitter at Nadine McSpadden, and please consider donating to the Indian Residential School Survivor Society at www.irsss.ca. I will put the link under the podcast notes. As always, please visit mentoringnatureconnections.ca for teaching resources. Until next time, go get your hands dirty and have fun with Mentoring Nature Connections.